it seems that no institution can escape from this conflict unscathed. Or maybe it's just that this war between Israel and Hamas has revealed how broken these institutions already were. Too blind to anti-Semitism, too deranged by their hatred of Israel, too devoted to absolutist theories about intersectionality and decolonization, too easily co-opted by politics, too easily scared by the social media mobs and lately the in-person mobs. Hamas's atrocities on October 7th opened up a wave of Israel and Jewish hatred around the world, from elite universities and elite media to international human rights groups and even local school boards. Israelis and Jews have not only been blamed for the extreme violence directed at them, but have also faced a concerted revisionist campaign to minimize, deny, and ignore October 7th, favoring a narrative in which Israel and Israel alone is the aggressor, the ultimate pariah state, the world's greatest evil. If there was anywhere we could expect all this to be stopped, it would be the loftily named United Nations International Court of Justice in The Hague, Netherlands, where any country can bring to trial any other country for the acts we consider most antithetical to humanity, culminating in genocide, the deliberate attempt to wipe out another people from existence. As you know, South Africa brought just such a case against Israel, accusing Israel of genocide against the Palestinians and asking the court to order Israel to stop its military campaign. Although the trial is expected to last for years, on January 26, the ICJ made a provisional ruling. The court ruled that Israel is not committing genocide and does not have to cease its campaign. But the ICJ did warn Israel that a plausible case for genocide does exist and did order Israel to comply with various provisions. We'll get into it. I'm of two minds on this ruling. One is dismay, frustration, and a profound sense of surreality that this trial should even have been legitimized in the first place. It is such a nakedly political effort to demonize and delegitimize Israel that I had hoped the ICJ would effectively toss it aside. As we all know, sometimes the accusation alone is enough to completely discredit someone, and that was the purpose here. Of course, Israel's enemies are always going to insist that Israel is committing genocide. There's no amount of convincing them otherwise. But by lending South Africa's case the solemn legitimacy of the court's attention, it gave a huge PR win to the detractors. On the other hand, this was a legal victory for Israel. The court was at pains to insist that Israel is not committing genocide, and that the war against Hamas is a just war of self-defense. And given the unique ferocity of this type of warfare, I don't think there's any great harm in reminding Israel and everyone else about the importance of adhering to the laws of war, of not descending into a situation in which atrocities become normalized. I appreciate the seriousness of and the need for an international body that can do this, even with its faults and imperfections. So I don't hold the ICJ with the same contempt that I do other institutions within the UN, which have demonstrated their clear bias against Israel for decades. If you need a refresh on that, check out episode 167 on the UN. So in a sense, I'm all over the map, and today I'm going to bring you along with me. And one more thing. The goal of this podcast is to give you the stories, knowledge, and ideas you need to know to make sense of what is going on, and to appreciate the great and fascinating depths of Jewish history. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please consider a donation to help keep it going. Big thank you to all those who have donated. 
And if you chose, you can find your name listed on my website at jewidonknow.com slash donate. So on to today's episode. I'm your host, Jason Harris, and this is Jew I Don't Know. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. Let's look at what the ICJ did and then what it all means. South Africa brought Israel to the ICJ on charges of genocide against the Palestinians. Under the Convention on Genocide, people have the right to be protected from acts of genocide. And it was these rights, says South Africa, that Israel violated. Because the full trial is likely to last years, South Africa wanted the ICJ to issue what are called preliminary measures. South Africa hoped the court would decide that there was a plausible case that Israel was committing genocide and that therefore Israel should cease its military campaign in Gaza. Israel would then be put in a difficult position either stop its war of self-defense, or, by refusing to comply with the Convention on Genocide, admit that it was, indeed, engaging in acts of genocide. Now, from the outset, we know that this trial is, in some sense, a farce. It's not a genuine attempt to stop genocide. The plaintiff, after all, South Africa, is not opposed to crimes against humanity. The government supports genocide when it's directed by Hamas against Israel. It supports genocide in Darfur by the Janjaweed militia, supports Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and supports human rights atrocities committed by various despots in Africa. This case is not being brought by an upstanding citizen. As I talked about a couple episodes ago, South Africa's humanitarian concern for the plight of the Palestinians makes a mockery of its inhumane treatment of its own citizens. We also know that the primary evidence offered by South Africa was either plain wrong or taken out of context or incomplete. The main evidence cited were inflammatory statements from Israeli officials, variously construed as demonizing the Palestinians in the context of waging all-out war against them. But thanks to some great reporting by Yair Rosenberg at The Atlantic, we know that many, if not most, of those statements were far less genocidal than South Africa claims. For example, the media, including me, reported Minister of Defense Yoav Gallant declaring that, quote, everything will be eliminated, end quote, in Gaza, a statement that can be construed as genocidal. But no one bothered to look at the actual Hebrew recording. There, Gallant actually declared, quote, there will be no Hamas, we will eliminate it all, end quote. Obviously not genocidal against all Palestinians. It's an entirely reasonable promise for a wartime leader to make against terrorists who had just committed a grotesque act of war. But in any case, the trial is moving forward and the ICJ issued a preliminary ruling as South Africa requested. In the manner of careful judges everywhere, it seems to have split hairs and what at first blush looks like a muddle of opinions, leaving the door wide open for any number of interpretations. The ICJ ruled that Israel is not committing genocide right now, but it did rule that Israel looks like it could potentially commit genocide in the future. The court therefore did not order Israel to stop its campaign in Gaza, but it did agree with South Africa that certain preliminary measures are necessary. These are, one, that Israel should take great care not to commit any acts of genocide. Two, 
that Israel should prevent and punish any officials who do incite genocidal intentions towards the Palestinians. Three, that Israel should make sure to allow in more humanitarian aid to Gaza for the Palestinians. And four, that Israel must, in one month, report on everything it is doing to comply with the provisions of the Convention on Genocide. One of the judges, George Nolt, had a revealing take. He wrote, quote, I am not persuaded that South Africa has plausibly shown that the military operation undertaken by Israel is being pursued with genocidal intent, end quote. Even so, he wrote, he voted in favor of the court's preliminary measures. Why? Quote, my decision to vote in favor of the measures rests on the plausible claim by South Africa that certain statements by Israeli state officials, including members of its military, give rise to a real and imminent risk of irreparable prejudice to the rights of Palestinians under the Genocide Convention, end quote. In other words, Israel is not now committing genocide, but based on these statements from Israeli officials, the court is concerned that things could swing that way. It's a shot across the bow. Israel, be careful what you're doing. But the ruling is also something of an affirmation that Israel is fighting a just war of self-defense. The ICJ acknowledged what South Africa refused to, that Hamas attacked Israel in the first place, that Israel has the right to self-defense, and that the hostages must be freed immediately and unconditionally. The court seemed to recognize the unique difficulties under which Israel has to fight. So what are we to make of all this? As I said, I'm of two minds. The fact that Israel even has to come before the court in this manner is a travesty. I'm disheartened that the ICJ deigned to consider such an obviously political effort. Genocide should not be the stuff of frivolous lawsuits. I get that the ICJ has a duty to accept and respond at face value to accusations from nations, but I was hoping that the court would push back, would rule that Israel was not committing genocide, and so there was no need for a process to drag Israel through the indignity of defending itself from charges that are patently not true. Because this trial isn't really about whether Israel is actually committing genocide. This is instead another arena of warfare intended to demonize the Jewish state by pretending to appeal to the rational use of international law. Let's not forget that under international law, every single time Hamas launches a rocket, it is committing a war crime. So even though the court ruled that Israel is not committing genocide, just the existence of this trial alone taints Israel with the genocide charge and gives comfort to its enemies. It validates their accusations and justifies their obsessive hatred. The anti-Semites are blowing past the actual ruling to attach the words Israel and genocide and court together as much as possible, to create the appearance of guilt where none exists. And now they get to assign the ultimate pariah act, genocide, to the very state that was founded to prevent genocide from happening to the Jewish people again, and which experienced a genocidal act on October 7th. It's an absurdity of history and justice. South Africa immediately claimed the ruling as a victory. President Cyril Ramaphosa declared that, quote, South Africans will not be passive bystanders while crimes are perpetrated upon other peoples elsewhere, end quote. 
If there was any justice, Israel would now bring South Africa, Turkey, Qatar, and most especially Iran to trial for their enabling of genocide against Israel, for funding, arming, training, and providing state-level support for Hamas, an organization that was explicitly founded for the purpose of committing genocide. Whatever Israeli officials have said about the war in Gaza pales in comparison to years and years of exterminationist rhetoric from the likes of Iran. And that's who should really be on trial here. Of course, there's no chance of any of those countries complying with an ICJ ruling. Now, maybe this doesn't matter so much. The anti-Semites are never going to be convinced that Israel isn't evil, no matter what. We don't need to try to reach them, because there's no point. The people cheering on Hamas's atrocities don't have any credibility to level accusations against Israel, and I don't accept their judgment anyway. So on the one hand, I reject the existence of this trial at all. I refuse to accept the hypocrisy. Israel is so obviously not committing genocide and never has. It's absurd. And it's an insult to the memory of the Holocaust, which was the basis for the founding of the ICJ in the first place. This trial suggests to the people who we are trying to reach, those who don't know much about the conflict, who don't understand the history and nuances here, who genuinely want to know what's going on, it suggests to them that there's smoke, that there is something to see here, that Israel might not be fighting a just war of self-defense, that maybe the Jews are now the ones committing genocide. On this basis, I just cannot abide by Israel's appearance before the court. But of course, I have no say, and we're here anyway. So the question is whether there is any silver lining. I think there is. Israel's forced appearance before the ICJ is a moral loss. But the ICJ is a court of law, and to that end, its ruling was a broad legal victory for Israel. The judges were not fooled by South Africa's entirely one-sided analysis. The court ruled that Israel is neither committing genocide nor should be forced to stop its war of self-defense. And to the extent that the ICJ did insist on some preliminary measures, they're not unreasonable on the face of things. Israel is to take extra care in avoiding acts of genocide, refrain from official incitement, deliver more humanitarian aid to Gaza, and report back to the ICJ in one month what it's doing to comply with these measures. The ICJ is reminding Israel of its obligations under the Genocide Convention. So here I'm reflecting on all the times in the Hebrew Bible when God reminds the Israelites about not forgetting that they came from slavery in Egypt, so that they don't forget that it was God who brought them out, so that they don't neglect the stranger and the downtrodden, so that they remember as an act of national identity and collective consciousness. God reminds the Israelites of this even when there's no indication that the Israelites forgot. So, maybe something similar is at work here too. Israel is not committing genocide. and has no intention of committing genocide. It's unthinkable even that it would. But maybe there's no harm, even a benefit, in remembering that. Israel is fighting a ferocious war, a very nasty and immensely difficult war that is itself born from an act of aggression and cruelty so horrific that the only possible comparison is with the Holocaust. Emotions are running high. The military case is absolutely compelling. This is a just war. 
it is necessary for self-defense, for Israel's very act of survival. In the immediate aftermath of October 7th, some of Israel's highest officials said things that were coming from a place of intense emotional reaction, not statesmanship. And so it is surely not a bad thing for Israel's military, politicians, and society to remember the genocide that was done unto them, and thus to remember their obligations now to prevent such atrocities from being done by their own hands. Even though they're not, they are not. So let's keep it that way. The second part of the ICJ's ruling speaks to preventing and punishing incitement. Let's put aside the emotional outbursts in the immediate aftermath of October 7th. I think we can all accept the context in which they were made, and that they were not intended as actual intentions of genocide. But since then, far-right ministers have continued to incite hatred against the Palestinians. These people are not in charge of prosecuting the war and so don't have any say over military policy. But they are sullying Israel's moral stature. They are providing Israel's enemies with the ammunition for the accusation of genocide. To whatever extent this ruling helps to rein in the rhetoric and put a break on the extremists can only be a positive outcome. The third part of the ICJ ruling is about delivering more humanitarian aid. And that too is a good thing. Now, this has two complications. One is that we know Hamas steals aid for their own military purposes. Legally, Israel is not under any obligation to supply its enemies, but it is under the legal obligation to ensure that civilians aren't deprived of humanitarian supplies. On balance, Israel is better off letting in as much humanitarian aid as possible. Even though Hamas will steal some of it, let that be a stain on the UN's reputation. Let Israel take the moral high ground here, because that moral high ground is also important to Israel winning the war. The second problem, though, is trickier. Families of the hostages have been protesting the government for not doing enough to bring them home. Last week, a group of the families held up supplies on Israel's side on one of the border crossings. They insisted that no supplies be allowed in until the hostages are released. It's easy to be sympathetic with this position. Under immense pressure, the government might find it very hard to literally push aside the hostages' families in order to deliver help for the Palestinians, when it seems that no one is doing anything for the hostages themselves. Ultimately, when it comes to the International Court of Justice, it's impossible not to hold it, or at least its ideal, in high regard. After all, it was founded on the premise of never again in the wake of the Holocaust. Nations should be able to sue other nations that are committing war crimes with impunity. The court should stand for a universal standard of accountability, a firm line in the sand that no nation can cross without consequence, most especially for the most grievous crimes, and most especially for genocide. The ICJ is needed. Unfortunately, the hypocritical trial of Israel only hurts the court's image international justice, and ultimately the cause of human rights and the prevention and punishment of genocide. Israel barely squeaked out a legal victory, but it's still looking at proceedings for years to come. At 
the same time as the ICJ ruled on South Africa's case, the UN was hit by yet another scandal, this one involving UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency that is responsible for Palestinian refugees. UNRWA is a deeply troubled agency that has long been entangled with Hamas and Gaza. Thousands of its employees have been complicit in encouraging and supporting Hamas's terrorist activities. Teachers preach hatred, anti-Semitism, and the glorification of violence against Jews. UNRWA facilities are used to store weapons and as platforms to attack Israel. UNRWA materials, ostensibly humanitarian aid, are used by Hamas. The UN rarely ever acknowledges this, publicly complains, changes their operations, or otherwise pushes back. There's no doubt that UNRWA does good and important work, but it is also severely compromised. Because it handles much of Gaza's civil services, like healthcare and education, Hamas is free to focus its resources solely on its genocidal campaign. But this week saw a small crack. For the first time, there was a real measure of accountability. Israel delivered intelligence that a dozen UNRWA officials in Gaza actively participated in the October 7th massacre. Not just supporters sympathized, but took part. Nine of the 12 employees were duly fired. One is said to be dead, and the whereabouts of the other two unknown. A dozen countries, including the United States, Canada, France, Germany, Japan, the Netherlands, and others, froze their funding of UNRWA, amounting to hundreds of millions of dollars. The UN Secretary General has professed to be shocked and is demanding the countries restore the funding. We'll see whether this will be a fleeting moment or an opportunity for the UN to effect real reflection and change. So while Israel suffers the indignities of genocide accusations and yet offers itself up to real accountability on the world stage, so many other institutions are corrupted by the moral stain of Israel demonization and dodge any sense of responsibility. And at the end of the day, neither Hamas, nor Hezbollah, nor their state sponsor Iran, nor their supporters around the world have yet to answer for their very real crimes against humanity. Maybe this is all about trying to preserve our own decency when everyone else's seems to have fallen apart. But I also know that in the Middle East, that's a dangerous position to take. As always, you can find me at jewaudono.com and my email is jewaudonopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again to the amazing donors keeping this educational project going. Talk to you next time. I'm Yisrael Chai, The Jewish People Live.